Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today's guest is a friend from right here in Southeast Minnesota, Mr. Lance Klessig. Lance and his family recently purchased a farm of their own and are diving into running a regenerative farm business with a unique agritourism enterprise. That's something I don't think I've talked about and I'm really looking forward to learning more about. So thanks so much for joining me here today, Lance, and welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Yeah, sounds good, Jared. I appreciate the uh, opportunity and looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. It's uh, It's been fun. It's, you know, I can... I just last night recorded someone, you know, with a a podcast with somebody from over in Australia that I met via Twitter. And then sometimes mm-hmm. it's it, the ones that take the longest to get lined up with everybody and stuff are the folks right down the road. So it's <laughs> like, but I'm I'm grateful that you're here and I'm I'm looking forward to it. But um, sure, a lot of people have probably heard of you or maybe seen your YouTube channel, and we'll give you a chance to plug that and stuff later. But for those who haven't, maybe you can uh, you. Go back to your start, your history. Um, has your family been in agriculture, and how did you get to the the property that you're on now? Uh, sure. So um, I was raised on a cow calf farm in central Wisconsin near Stevens Point, and um, did the whole showing, you know, county, state, all that, mm-hmm. all those fairs, and really had a heart for um, just taking care of the land. Um, and part of that was from my dad was a professor and he also Lance means of the land actually. So, um, so that really kind of took my career in, in that direction and, um, you know, just worked through a couple different positions and then, um, Oh, it was about four or five years ago. My wife and I started praying about trying to find a farm for ourselves. We were living out in the country but we didn't have a lot of acreage so kind of the fast track is i went out to visit gabe brown with a few farmers here from southeast minnesota and we were paying him for the tour and kind of from there like it really that was the start of the youtube journey but really from there personally it also kind of just led into us really wanting to to find our own place and so that would have been like June of, I think, 19 or maybe 18. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so we uh, eventually um, that that winter, uh, we were able to find, look at several different farms. And then um, March of 2020, right, the week after COVID started, we signed the papers on this place. So good timing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. That, <laughs> well, I'm I don't sure know about that. that exciting. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Um. Well, you, you didn't talk too much, I don't think, about your career there. You've been involved in kind of production ag and not so much on the production side, but working with producers for quite a while. And maybe talk a little bit about what you did uh, for a while there. Oh, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I've uh, done, a, I guess, a variety of different or had a variety of different positions. Started out right out of college, uh, milking cows for a guy on the weekend and doing some uh, rotational grazing kind of consulting as far as like technical assistance, educational assistance for a nonprofit for a couple, three years. And then also worked for land conservation in, in Wisconsin. 
Uh, and then let's see, I jumped over to NRCS for about six years um, here in Minnesota. And then my last last position was with uh, Winona County Songwater Conservation District. And that was for about five years. And then kind of along the way, I was able to get certified as a crop advisor. That would have been, ooh, like 15 years ago or so, 14 years ago. Um, so I've retained that. That's been helpful as far as working with farmers um, across the across the Midwest. And um, yeah, so that's a little bit of my background. Yep. And where would you say the initial kind of interest in regenerative and soil health and concert, I mean, there's a lot of people who work in the conservation districts and whatnot who probably don't have the extent of, you know, passion for, for the actual soil health and regenerative practices that you have. Where, where does, where do you think that stemmed from? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I honestly think it was part of my upbringing. You know, my, my dad was actually like friends with Elda Leopold's family. Um, and wow. just, I really think created a, uh, a land ethic, a conservation ethic, you know, and what we did with our own farms. Um, we had a couple different prop farms uh, in Wisconsin. And yeah, so I think that's probably where it mostly came from. Um, sure. And just really enjoying, you know, rural living, country living, and the, the connections, the community. Um, yeah, I think yeah. that's that's where it probably originated. Yep. Sure. And was going back to the family farm ever an option or an opportunity or? Uh, it was, uh, but it was, you know, smaller. Um, my parents, you know, um, the farm was not, a was not their primary income source. So, sure. and it was not that big a scale as far as like 140 acres. And mm -hmm. so, um, we did look at it, but, uh, really wasn't that attracted so yeah. to it so yeah no interesting it's uh it's always i don't know a lot of people i listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff and some people are really good at digging into these big philosophical discussions and i've always found for me the thing that i'm most interested in is just hearing people's stories and how they got to where they are it's such a cool i think everybody's story shares so much and so it's neat to hear um yeah how how you guys have kind of progressed to where you're at today but um so I guess we'll jump forward then to you talked about 2020, the the mm -hmm. perfect timing there, the right before COVID kind of jumped in. <laughs> um, you bought your first place, and I'm sure there had to be a bunch of emotions just with the purchase of a new farm and everything. But uh, throwing mm -hmm. COVID in the mix, what was some of those first those first few <laughs> weeks and months and that first season <laughs> as far as the what what were you hoping to do you've worked with farmers and grazing and cropping and specialty product uh, product uh, production and stuff what were you thinking mm -hmm. that you would do uh, when you first started sure um so honestly we we almost didn't look at the farm we bought um <laughs> and the irony of it is, is because we really wanted land to run i didn't want a lot of infrastructure sure and a friend of mine uh luke burglars actually who mentioned or i kind of shared with him we were looking for a place in minnesota here um so the building site was for sale the land was not and so i was able to work a arrangement uh using land contract and so we were able to purchase um, about half of this farm and it came with uh, three, <laughs> three buildings that we eventually turned. They were Airbnbs, but um, we did a lot of remodeling and updating. Yeah. 
And um, so then we started looking at it as a way to cash flow. Um, so we were able to purchase some of the land and then also have um, the existing infrastructure here to host people. And so that, that actually opened up some pretty big doors. And uh, at that time, I was still working full time. We were homeschooling our, our would have been three kids at that point. And so, yeah, that, that first year was a lot of learning as you can kind of imagine. Um, the farm we bought was all corn, soybeans. And I really, although I work with a lot of farmers that grow corn and beans, um, that's not where really my heart is as far as personally. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, we bought it March, uh, moved all of our things by ourselves because we were, you know, everybody was just scared. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, I went and frost seeded all this, all the soybean ground with my friends, uh, four wheeler and a spinner spreader. And then we, you know, just kind of started from there, drilled in a cool season uh, mix to take off for forage, just to try to break up the rotation. And then uh, I think we started with like, we went and bought some feeder pigs that spring, like, uh, I don't know, like 30 or 40 hens and a couple hundred broilers. So that was kind of the, the initial start for us yeah so the plan to start as far as the production side anyway was more of the grazing and livestock and direct to consumer was that kind of the original plan yes yep and so we in as far as the land we also wanted to um you know the farm hasn't had livestock in then like i think like 30 years or 28 years and so mm. no fences kind of starting over from all that and we also wanted to essentially start priming the soil for where we were headed. So that first year we um, just grew forage mixes. And even though we didn't have, uh, you know, any cattle here or sheep Mm -hmm. or goats like we do now, but yeah, that's, that's exactly what we were doing. So, yeah. Yeah. That priming the soil thing. That's I know Gabe Brown always talks about using those as soil primer and we've had farms that we picked up that were just like biologically dead, either rented or purchased or something like that. And it seems like when you started Mm -hmm. off, uh, maybe talk a little bit to what that goal of that was as far as, I don't know, because we have one farm that we've been running for five or so years now in kind of an adaptive grazing management structure that was biologically dead when Mm -hmm. we started it. And it's been super slow to get stimulated and to get going and perhaps we would have been better off doing something like what you're talking about just to get it jump started at the beginning. So I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I had the privilege of, uh, I guess that would have been the fall of 19. I went, attended three different soil health academies. One was down at Unray Archuletas in Missouri. And then one was in Minnesota, uh, Grant and Don's and just really learned a lot about converting cropland to grass-based systems. And they, I had saw several examples where they were um, taking those cropland fields and st- strategically planting generally a warm season mix, but also, you know, with some cool seasons in there and then trying to bring livestock onto the land to change it from bacterial driven to more, you know, fungi driven and um, especially get away from uh, some of the, disturbance as far as tillage and you know we're using lots of herbicides and fungicides all that so mm-hmm. um yeah and they had they had been having really good luck and uh, the forage potential 
you know, that first year was um, maybe so-so, the second year was better. And then typically what they were doing was the third year finally seeding it down to more of a perennial mix. And so that's exactly what we tried to model. And, you know, we didn't do it perfectly, but I'm actually pretty happy with um, the mix that we have out there. Um, and then also bale grazing has become the last uh, two winners have has been uh, an integral part of that equation. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I, I know the bale grazing, I, I, we've, that's one of the ways, and we've got these two farms that kind of picked up at a similar time. And you just mentioned, mentioned it. They're both similar positions, but one was about 15 miles away. And so, and we're renting it. And so we didn't want to bring all our fertility and, you know, hay down there on a farm that we may not have long-term. And the other one is right down the road. And so we spent three winters covering this farm with hay, you know, with, with bale grazing and manure and urine and hay waste and stuff. And man, the difference between those two, both were both sitting idle for 10 to 15 years prior to us taking over management were largely brome and Kentucky bluegrass stands and things. And it's amazing. The difference sure. between the two based on pale grazing is huge. And so, mm. yeah, that's it. Yeah, for sure. Point. You mentioned the word, you mentioned the word waste though, Jared. I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with <laughs> yeah. that, but yeah, just yeah. as a sticking point. <laughs> no, that's fair. So, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And Hey, leftovers, I guess. But, um, and that's actually an interesting topic because I, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I hear a lot of people say, you know, it's not waste, you know, they talk about that and it's not waste. And it's true that it's not completely useless, but I wonder, I don't know. I always prefer to put it through a cow <laughs> when I look at it as sure. like, there's a certain amount of value tied up in feed there. And 80% of what goes in the cow's mouth goes out the back end and you're in the manure. So you're going to capture 80% of the nutrients. I'd rather harvest the feed capacity of it too. <laughs> so it's uh, yep. just from a dollar, yeah, man, I, from a dollars and cents standpoint, <laughs> but I get you. There's certainly sure. value to it. It's not like it uneaten is unutilized, but I don't know. Right. That makes right. sense I just, or not. Well, yeah. The only reason I brought it up is I did a video with a friend over in Wisconsin, Jason Cavadini and mm -hmm. uh, actually with, and Ray Archuleta had a field day <laughs> and we had this running joke about wasting hay and, you know, the, the last 10% of the round bale or 5% and, should we move that around or drag it? And, and, uh, yeah, he had brought yeah. up the same word waste. And I was like, uh, time out, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yeah. like biological food, you yes. know? And yes. so anyway, Oh gosh. Yeah. And I think he maybe listens to this, but Bob up in, uh, near Monaga, Minnesota, we did a field day at his place and he has some pretty rough ground. And, and he showed us an area mm. that was, he tried bale grazing on what was some of his worst ground. And this was in, mm. I think it was last summer we went, no, summer of 2021. I can't believe it's 2023 now. So summer of 2021. Mm. And uh, he had left a tremendous, like quite a bit of residue. He ate, you know, let the cows eat the bunch, but there was a bunch uh, left over. And on the whole farm, this was in the middle of this horrible drought of 2021. It was the only green stuff. And it was like knee mm. or hip high, lush green wow. grass. And, you know, by consuming a hundred percent of it, you wouldn't have had that cover probably to keep and contain, conserve moisture too. So there's not only the nutrient benefits, there's just having that cover. And man, that was, that was one of the most visible <laughs> eye openings you could see. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So sure. yeah, shout out yeah. to Bob if he's listening. Uh, <laughs> he did good um, and yeah. definitely uh, impacted a lot of people who are at that field day. But back to your story. So you took over this farm, you did two year kind of transition through cover crop biological uh, primers and bale grazing over winters 
and then seeded mm-hmm. down to a perennial pasture. Is that, that right? Correct. And yep. what was what was the progression of livestock as you kind of did that as well? Um, you said year one you had nothing, but what what kind of started from there? Well, actually, year one we had we didn't have any cow calf or sure. sheep or goats, but we did have uh, hogs, and yeah. we kind of run those in a specific area um, of the farm. But we did run two hundred fifty broilers. Uh, you know, obviously, you're not covering a lot of land with them, but moving mm-hmm. them once or twice a day, and then we had some uh, hens. So that was first year, and then um, by the second year, I was able to bring in some uh, custom heifers uh, to graze them worked out pretty well that was like in august so it took took uh let's see that would have been 21 so um by then we had uh seeded everything down and uh, made one crop of forage off it and then uh went and did shares on second crop because i needed some feed and so then i was able to bring those heifers in I want to say like middle of August 20 and 2021. So grazed them. So got across the entire farm once mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was kind of the, <clears throat> the start of it. And with, with, you know, ruminants and whatnot. And then um, that winter we were able to buy in a small herd of red Angus cows. Uh, actually the kids um, bought in <laughs> nice. um, yeah. quite a few of them. And, um, and then we started bale grazing, uh, yeah, it would have been fall, fall of 21 into that winter. And then, so this would be the second actual year that we're, we're bale grazing, but yeah. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, and is there a reason you chose the, it, you, you had experience with custom grazing. It seems like the, the re- interview I just released on uh, Monday was an individual who went from owning cows to custom grazing and stuff. And so I'm curious, mm-hmm. was there a reason you chose to purchase in, you know, large ruminants as opposed to continuing the custom grazing enterprises? Um, well, a couple of reasons, you know, the, the cow calf definitely, uh, <laughs> you definitely need to be really careful with your finances there. Yeah. Uh, but one of the main reasons is because, um, my dad passed away about seven, eight years ago. And mm-hmm. so we had decided to use some of the money he had left behind at that time. There's just two grandkids, but we decided mm-hmm. to, want to help our children learn how to uh, run a business. Also, if they want to farm, you know, learn that the trade. So we, um, so we want, and I was comfortable with cattle. So that's why Mm -hmm. we bought in um, a small group of of bred heifers. They were from a good friend that's a hundred percent grass fed and grass finished. And so, and that was just the way to get kind of started for us. Obviously the full well knowing the custom grazing, um, making more money on that. But also by having our own cows throughout the winter, now we're able to bale graze. And so it's mm-hmm. kind of a, I guess we looked at it as, you know, trying to balance that out. And again, adding fertility, we, we, we really felt we needed to do that. So um, sure. <clears throat> cow calf seemed to make sense. And at that point, they were just actually all bred heifers. So they didn't have mm-hmm. calves on them anyhow. But yeah, 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 sure. So yeah, you, you saw the opportunity to use those cows as a tool that you couldn't have used custom livestock for in a way and i like the family Correct. thing to it when we were kids my dad kind of got each of us started with an enterprise i joke that mm. i i sometimes wonder if god didn't want me to be a livestock farmer because my start was uh, laying hens and the first batch of 50 all got killed by foxes i think <laughs> and a skunk and then or maybe the, and then the second batch of like 200 i bought a few years later were all killed by a skunk 
and uh, and a chicken hawk and stuff. And so he was telling me, I I don't know, I shouldn't have been in business, at least not a livestock business, it seemed like, but I stuck to it. But um, it's a good way to grow up. No yeah. Um, sure. Yep. yep. Well, I I want to talk about the agritourism side because you mentioned at first your your goal was more of a land, like bare land, little infrastructure, or something that you could create more of a production, you know, enterprise off of, but something about this place gave you, I don't know, you, you, why, why did you end up deciding to go with the place that was kind of the opposite of that? Yeah, well, I really think it was one of those God things, to, to be frank. Um, mm-hmm. We almost did not even come to the tour or to meet up with the owners, <laughs> yeah. even though we had made an appointment. So mm-hmm. once we got here, we started looking at, boy, this is pretty unique. And, you know, our farmhouse is right on the it's also right on the same farmstead. So now we look at it as well. There was some history of rental before we bought it, but how could we maximize this? Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it becomes really attractive because we're able to um, take people out on tours and, you know, a large percentage of our guests are there to um, not only have like really nice hospitality uh, cause my wife is really good at like farmhouse themes and all that, but, mm-hmm. but also to get in touch with the land and kind of have a better understanding of where their food comes from. And so, you know, we're giving tours at least um, in the fall, you know, summer, spring, you know, multiple tours a week to our guests. And then that also lends itself very well to uh, marketing our mm-hmm. lamb, you know, pork, goat, uh, beef and broilers and eggs and honey. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we definitely saw it as a way to, um, so we, we really pulled a, a hard 90 or 180, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, my strong suit is not, not buildings. And we were just kind of talking before the call here or before the, mm-hmm. uh, recording about my oldest son is definitely mechanical and I, I lack those skills. And mm-hmm. yet, um, same thing with building projects. So, yeah, so that's how we kind of, I don't know, it just was one of those things where you go into a place, you're open-minded or trying to be, and uh, I don't know if I want to say things fall into your lap, but I really believe that things happen for a reason. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we we went into it. We bought it, again, on land contract, and that was also a really blessing because we don't have to deal with a bank. And, yeah, uh, that's... I guess one thing I should maybe mention is the our our theme for our farm is experience regeneration. Mm-hmm. And so that actually takes a couple different uh, avenues. The one is experiencing, uh, you know, a warm uh, place with, that's very hospitable and, you know, country feel. So mm-hmm. that's part of it is to be able to get away because so many of our guests are urban or suburban mm-hmm. and then the other part is to see a, f- a live farm in action and get to you know pick up a chicken for the first time or collect your own eggs or scratch the pigs you know mm-hmm. or pet, a, pet a cow or one of our horses so um, that a regeneration is um, not only what something we're doing to the land but also mm-hmm. what we're hoping to have others you know experience and you know take in for themselves so that's that's been a uh very important um, theme of what we're doing, why we're doing it, all that type of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I, I really like that that motto or what I guess mission or whatever you call it. And I mm-hmm. think to uh, I think do you know Caleb Anderson? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. 
I think he shared kind of a similar goal for their farm and they don't have like a farm stay, but I think the word that he used was almost like a sanctuary. He's trying to create a sanctuary mm. on his farm for everything, uh, for, for the livestock, for the wildlife and for his customers who can come out and experience nature in a way. And it very much aligns kind of with what you're saying. And I like that idea of just experiencing regeneration because I don't know, I think most of us who live in the country agree and kind of can ex- feel how good it feels to be out and on the land mm-hmm. with nature and the sunshine and whatnot, but not many others get to experience it. And, and it seems True. like, yeah, when they get there, it can be pretty, pretty life-changing for people. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty amazing. The, just the people that stay with us. I mean, surprisingly, we have families that come stay with us and they come in the summer or um, well, usually just in the summer, but they come specifically to bring their kids so yeah. that their kids can yeah. come help us do projects because, you know, say the the mom and dad, or sometimes it's a couple sisters that have kids, you know, they were raised on a farm, but now they, mm-hmm. they haven't been in 20 years or better. And so yeah. it's just really kind of fun to see people engage and kind of connect uh, many times for the first time with, with farm yeah. animals, you know, yeah. so that's a good point. I can't think of how many times like some of our customers have said, can we bring our kids to the farm? And it's like people mm-hmm. recognize the benefit of being on a farm and they want their children to have that experience. So that's cool that you're able to offer mm-hmm. that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, a while back, I think when you first kind of were mentioning the place and stuff, you threw out the word that cash flow, uh, that this, you know, the buildings <laughs> and things that it gives you the opportunity to help cash flow the farm and and probably you know, looking at farmland doesn't take too long to realize that not much farmland cash flows by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, you know, the business side of this, did when you ran the numbers and compared kind of similar dollars invested into more of like an agritourism business model and Airbnb short-term rental, as opposed to more of a farmland investment. And even with the production uh, of the, you know, uh, the production off the farm, not just the land rent, did the numbers just make this out to look a lot better as well yeah i would say the agritourism hospitality side of things definitely has been kind of almost unbelievable um really a a surprise in a a good way you know we didn't know we had no experience with this when we closed we when we signed the papers in march of 2020 you know we had not run uh any sort of business as far as like uh, hospitality. And so we were jumping in my wife, <laughs> my dear wife likes to jump, uh, <laughs> big, take big steps. I'm more of the hold back on the reins, but, um, Dave Ramsey will call that free spirit and the nerd or yeah, something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll take the nerd label. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so we, we had very little experience with that. And yet we really had a conviction that we wanted to raise our kids. Uh, you know, even though we had moved from, uh, you know, rural Wisconsin with limited acres, we wanted to raise our kids on this farm, produce healthy, nutrient dense foods, and then be able to market um, them as well and share them with with our guests. And so, yeah, as far as the profitability side of things or the cash flow, um, you know, the Airbnbs, VRBO, short term rentals, those are our main way of supporting our family. And so much that I was. Uh, two falls ago, I was able to, you know, leave my full-time job. And, wow. um, you know, that uh, it hasn't been all easy sledding, but it, it's been a, a choice that we've really been happy with. And yeah. um, it's pretty amazing when you can, you know, wake 
wake up and, and look out on the farm and, and be with your kids. We do homeschool, as I mentioned, all five mm-hmm. now. And um, yeah, so it's just been a really a, a, a good ride and just really thankful for the, the opportunity to, you know, connect with guests. But then we're also doing, you know, like last fall, we were doing two to four farmers markets a week. And so we're definitely trying to, you know, also market products that way. So um mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a little bit of the the history there, sure. Well, I guess first thing that comes to my mind there is the fact that in a matter of two years of purchasing a farm, you were able to quit your job. And is there any other off farm income that comes from you or your wife now, or is everything off the? the yeah, farm? everything is. Uh, <laughs> surprisingly, even as I as I answer the question, it's uh, it's here. You know, it's. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty humbling and um i get a little emotional now that you're bringing it up uh but yeah it's it is the farm and um yeah. and we've had our fair share of of uh, challenges along the way you know losing um you know we had 250 hens this summer we we're doing egg delivery and mm. um drops and you know uh we we lost a consider uh well, most of them just due to pre- predators we moved our guard dog away with our Mm. uh goats goats and sheep when they were kidding and lambing and we lost 50 in a week you know kind of similar mm. to your story yeah. um but yeah we've really been blessed to try some different enterprises i mean i i joke with my wife that there's hardly an enterprise we haven't tried which i don't would not <laughs> recommend because <laughs> it's been very very hard on our family yeah. uh, as far as stress but um yeah. and you know we're actually getting away from some of those enterprises are, are kind of, I shouldn't say getting away, but kind of delegating and having mm-hmm. um, some friends uh, raise some, raise our broilers for us. And then also even our honey, we, we've just, I just made an arrangement last week for a guy to come in and bring 30 hives. And wow. um, instead of us doing the, the five hives that we've done the last couple of years, you know, ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's yeah. incredible. I mean, how many of <laughs> us, and my listeners probably are trying to figure out how to be make it home with a family farm and lots mm. of acres. I mean, that's incredible. That I mean, that says a lot about the business yeah. model. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I think there's a negative connotation towards what like kind of small farms, and they think it's not a real business or something like that. It's a hobby, but you're making a living where I know of people farming thousands of acres who still require off farm income. And so congratulations. Yeah. Uh, yeah very well, well done. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And it, like I said, it's, um, yeah, we've put a lot of work into it, but also I would say there's been several stars that have aligned and just mm-hmm. really, um, people that we've been able to network with and meet. And, um, you know, one of the things we did is, you know, I got to know Alan Williams through some of those soil health academies that I attended. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have been fall of 19. And I, I remember it very vividly. He said, put it in their mouth. And that is referencing your product, right? And so mm-hmm. we took, we did uh, as a celebration in uh, would have been like late summer, fall of 2020, we had an open farm and roasted a couple of our pigs and had a half barrel of beer, invited a lot of our neighbors who, you know, COVID was really hard that first year. So here we are able to have a big party, a couple, 250 people, you know, all of the customers that we had just started to establish, but we were 
again, we were putting our pastured pork and I went and tried, I found the best hog roaster and caterer that I could and spent some pretty good money. It was all on us. Uh, we didn't charge anything and um, really thankful that I was able to just to take that pra- little bit of a practical piece of advice and, and implement mm-hmm. it, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm interested in the marketing and, and I'm not sure how much time we'll have, so we may get back to it. Um, sure. But we have more marketers on, but this, you're the first person who I've had on, I think, who's done any sort of agritourism or farm stays. And so if it's okay, I wouldn't, I, I'd be interested in doing a little more deeper dive on that business or that enterprise. Um, sure. So you, you were fortunate that you, you had a, you bought this place that it had some of the existing infrastructure. So you didn't have to start up by building something, I guess. But when you took this on, you, you said that you still chose to do some renovations and, and stuff. I'm curious what you felt were the necessary renovations that a person should put into some of this infrastructure to make it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's the things that are necessary and what are the things that are, how do you prioritize spending in those early days? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so really uh, two of the buildings that were here on the farmstead were being rented previous to us owning it. And, and, and actually when I say that it was actually three because the farmhouse that we now live in was all, they were also renting that out too. Is this like long-term um, just to a regular tenant or? Um, no, these were, like bigger parties so like for like a family reunion or you know groups of 10 to 40 really so it wasn't just like a small a family or whatnot um so anyway getting back to the two kind of original rentals if you want to call it that yeah we definitely updated them they were from the 80s 90s though Mm -hmm. Uh, my wife has a pretty good knack for decor and so that meant um some superficial things, you know, the roof and all that was in place, even though we got hailed on twice now <laughs> and we got to redo all of our, our buildings. But um, really the, the kit, one of the, the logs that we have that, that is the bigger one that sleeps about eight, uh, 10 comfortably at, at max there. Um, that one, we completely did the, the kitchen uh, just all the way down and, and, and really made it again, that farmhouse feel the farm charm, you know, uh, that was kind of the, the direction that we've gone. And so that's where we kind of put our, a lot of our eggs in that basket was, was the kitchen, at least mm-hmm. in the one, our one building lodge really needed it. Mm-hmm. And then we also looked at the third building we call our bungalow. You know, that was attached to a pavilion that, that the previous owners were actually just using for like during the non-winter season to have people outside and, and uh, mm. attached to this pavilion, they had two bathrooms and mm. then they had a loft upstairs. So we thought, and it was all like rustic, like knotty pine and kind of a Northwoods feel. And so we're like, well, we could get a queen bed up there and the bathrooms are already, you know, all set. So mm-hmm. there was a small like kitchen. Uh, so we just, that was the first thing we put online actually, because it needed very little and uh, that got us our start in August of 2020. So that would have only been three, four months after we bought the farm. So we started, we got that going. And then, um, yeah, then we did the cottage. Um, that would have been like October of that fall. And then um, uh, January 1st of 2021, we opened the lodge. And that that one is, is bigger. It actually has a really unique... Uh, attraction where it has an indoor pool where the previous owner had dug out a basically if you look at like a pole shed 
uh, more of like a metal shed, but he dug it out and, and put it in himself. And so that has, yeah, that has a lot of attraction, especially in the middle of winter when you can have your own private pool, um, with your family, you know? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I bet it's nice when it's uh, not rented out too for your family. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually this week, uh, I have a maintenance guy that just drove out, but, uh, heating and plumbing and, uh, yeah, we're going to utilize it because December and early January usually is our, our slowest times, uh, so yeah that's cool writing off the pool that's a good way to do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah why not right i love it um well what's the next step then i guess so when you have a building your your bungalow or or anything when you have the first thing that's up and for maybe people who are listening they don't have a building but i've heard of people even doing something as simple as a um like an old vintage like an eight thousand dollar vintage camper not a mm-hmm. airstream, just some little camper doesn't even have a bathroom or a kitchen in it or something out in their pasture renting it and stuff <laughs> or, or, you know, people yeah. doing tents or whatever. But when you have something, uh, what's the next step? I mean, is it pricing? Sure. Is it searching out the, the, the different, yeah, I guess. What, what do you, what do you do then? Yeah. Well, uh, we, we did have actually some pretty big plans. We were going to add a fourth Airbnb. Um, I, my wife is lots of ideas. And so um, I actually found a couple of grain bins that um, I was going to take both of them down. I ended up just taking one down. Uh, they were about an hour away. Uh, so worked with some friends, Jordan Meyer, um, good friend. And we got that thing tore down and put in a, a driveway, a second entrance to our farm. And we were going to put that up, but uh, found out kind of, we kind of put the cart before the horse and, uh, <laughs> Uh, put the driveway in before we got all the zoning and stuff figured out oh. and we didn't have meet the minimums as far as acreage to, to add a, a second residence. So, sure. um, but that's okay. We kind of pivoted. Um, we bought a school bus. So I guess to answer your question, yeah, look at what you have or look at how you can buy a, I, I paid $3,500 for this school bus. My mechanical son, Elijah built bunk beds in it. It's got a queen bed in the back, um, built a kitchenette plumbed it you know it can run independently off the grid um so we actually took that to new york and texas this year and but that that is going to become our fourth airbnb uh parked off that driveway that's um so i think i think looking for yeah those opportunities i mean i truth be told i bought that bus because my wife wanted to make a really unique uh hen wagon (laughs) uh take the motor out, sell the motor and then have, instead of like our chicken trailers where we have, you know, five or six used cattle trailers for our hens, um, do that. Um, so that didn't come together, which was fine. But I think the encouragement or my thought would be is to, yeah, look for, um, you know, something that's maybe unique. I mean, we have two neighbors, one has a, a boat, that he went and got off the Mississippi and just retrofitted that and pulled that down in his woods. And, you know, there's options out there. The grain bin, we're, we're going to use that to make a pavilion, another pavilion, actually. I guess maybe one other point it's worth mentioning. I have a couple friends that have really done well with Harvest Host, Har- mm. Harvest Hosts, I think it's called. And so that is uh, an avenue to basically allow people to park on your farm or maybe on a, a back driveway or whatever it might be. And the agreement is, is that they will buy so much of your product from your store. And uh, then if you do supply 
electricity, then you can charge a little bit more. And it, uh, mm -hmm. again, it's a way to get people to your farm. And um, so we're, we're going to do that. Uh, a couple of those uh, pads, if you will, this year as well. So Nice. Huh. So you kind of got me thinking to one, something I've wondered is like, you've got your three and will be four different Airbnbs or rentals there. Um, do you consider or worry about how close they are? If you have different families and guests at the time, are you worried about them? Like it's not as private mm. or anything. I mean, is that something you have to think about? Yeah, it is definitely a concern. And so when we have our um, kind of on our listings that people look at online before they book with us, we are uh, very open and saying, you know, the, the bungalow and the cottage are, you know, a hundred feet away from our farmhouse and we are living there with our family. Sure. And, um, this is a working farm and, and, you know, there are, you know, there are other rentals on our farmstead. So we try to be as open and full disclosure about that, but it, yeah, cause some people are expecting, you know, they rent your farm cottage or your farm bungalow. It's, you know, 400 yards off the, the highway and way back secluded kind of mm -hmm. like, um, what's your name? Uh, what's his name? The, about the sanctuary. Well, yeah. that's not what we're offering. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but on the same, same token by everybody being kind of close knit or, you know, close proximity, you know, we do farm tours, like I said, multiple times a week. And oftentimes it's not my wife or I anymore. It's our oldest two or three kids. And yeah. <laughs> even in winter, I would venture to say it's two or three times a week, even in winter that we're, we're taking wow. people into our barn to, again, to hold the hens because we have some of our hens in there and not in the greenhouse. Um, we have a, a colt in there that my wife is training. So we'll get to pet Remy. Um, we have Roberta, our turkey. <laughs> She's kind of a, <laughs> uh, uh, that's a long story short or long story, but we lost 24 out of 25 of our turkeys this past year. They, they ran away after they, we thought they were trained electric netting. So yeah. anyway, lesson <laughs> learned, but um, yeah, it's just an, it's a neat way to um, the, the proximity we try to use to our advantage. Right. Mm -hmm. So be open about how close things are and, um, and then, you know, have our kids learn how to communicate with, with our guests and just really yeah. um, it's, it's been a neat thing. So, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So essentially, main takeaway, I guess, that is just it. It works if you're clear about it up front, so that people aren't disappointed when they get there. They they understand what what's being offered. Yeah. Yep. You said you do the best job you can communicating, but then also, mm -hmm. um, you know, what their expectations are. You know, and so yeah. trying to be very forward with, um, you know, we have lots of scheduled messages that come out, you know, right away when they book with us, but then also I think it's either two or three days before the stay or before the reservation. And, and then we have a few during the, during the stay that are scheduled. And mm -hmm. so we're not having to do any of that, but it helps them feel, um, you know, in the know. And, mm -hmm. you know, we offer the tours if it fits our schedule and we also offer, you know, like a paid tour where they can go out and, you know, we can walk through our cover crop fields. Um, we specifically have like seven acres that we do not, um, that are not part of our perennial pasture system so that we grow different mixes, but also like sunflowers. I'm going to try no-till pumpkins this year in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so people can experience that side as well. So. Yeah. Well, that kind of brought up a question that I wanted to ask too was, um, I mean, I've heard of people 
they talk about how expensive it can be to have people on the farm for picking up meat or something. I mean, if, if you have somebody who comes and buys a pound of ground beef, but you talk to them for an hour, that becomes a pretty expensive pound of ground beef. And so, you know, you've got three or four different guests on a farm at all times or whatever, and you get one couple that wakes up at seven and wants a tour and the next at eight 30 wants a tour. And all of a sudden your whole morning is spent giving people tours. How do you manage this, the actual, you know, customer relations in a way that doesn't take your whole day, but you can also offer them all the mm. experience that you're trying to, to offer. Sure. Well, um, part of it's been trial, or a lot of it's been trial and error. But mm-hmm. now, what we do again with those scheduled messages is we we remind our guests that this is a working farm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really important that um, I don't know the exact language, but we request that nobody goes into the pastures without one of our family members, or we we uh, raise and sell uh, fox red labs, so we have a couple litters of those a year. So we ask, you know, we're very open about hey this is a working farm. We want to be, uh, we want you to be safe and have no, you know, there's no issues. And then as far as the tours, what we say is that we, we love to host tours and we will be in touch with them about trying to find a time that works. So essentially we say, you know, upon, if, if, if our schedules all align, we generally do chores, um, you know, late morning or can offer a tour during that time. If it works for, for them. So we're not, we used to give tours at the drop of the hat and, uh, that, that became way, way too much. It's kind of, I think what you're getting at, you know, so we, we had to restructure that. So, yep. Yeah. Somehow systematize it in a way that it's not a huge inconvenience for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, same kind of on the same kind of question anyway, what what about the farm store? How do you, how, how are, how are you, um, setting it up so that you are encouraging them to purchase products or something so that, yeah. Yeah. So believe it or not, we actually do not have a official farm store that is mm. on the, uh, <laughs> maybe the 2023 plan, but probably okay. 2024. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, you know, we have, we have a big pole shed where we have all of our freezers. And so mm-hmm. that's where we're storing all of our, our meats and we have a walk-in cooler that we built for our eggs. And uh, I, did, I don't think I mentioned it, but we have a, a flower farm, part of our another enterprise here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the farm store component. So we have booklets in all of our rentals that that shares our journey and talks about, you know, why our farm is named Heart and Soil Ridge. You know, we have the heart of hospitality and the heart of of loving people and also sharing uh, the foods that we are growing, the meats and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also my passion for soil um, and soil health. So that's the name, but so we weave that in quite well or try to with our, our, our welcome book. And then within that, there's probably half of it is, uh, you know, there's a full page on our, all of our, our cuts for our grass fed beef and the same for pork and our honey and, and all that. So we're, that's our main way. And then part of the way that we draw people to our, our products is even in, in some of those messages, we encourage them to check out our website and they can actually, we say, you know, if you want to pre-order a ham or a couple of, you know, a couple chickens to put on the grill or 
five dozen eggs for when you show up. You can order that previous to coming. You, you can also save some space and packing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so that those are ways that we are um, trying to, you know, alert our, our customers um, to our, the products that, that are available. So that's, that's cool. I got to imagine that people are a fan of fresh eggs in their breakfast in the morning. I don't know. That just seems like that would be a hit. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely last this past summer when we were, we had about 250 hens. Um, yeah. You know, for people to be able to pick up their own eggs or join us and picking up, you know, a mm-hmm. hundred eggs when we go and get them out of the rollaway boxes and then they, their kids can, you know, walk back with three cartons of eggs, you know, they're mm-hmm. not, that's kind of a special moment for them then to, you know, buy those eggs or, you know, walk right into the lodge with them and make yeah. them the next morning and maybe buy some, some links, you know, mm-hmm. pork links or, or bacon to accompany that, you know, so. I like how you've integrated them because there's a lot of people in the hospitality business or agritourism business, and there's a lot of people building direct market enterprises, but I like how you've integrated them. And, um, but on this, the hospitality side, I'm trying to just kind of think if, you know, kind of along the lines of what people might be wondering if they want to get into this. And you've talked about kind of how you got yours started. Um, what are the different platforms you use to host them? What are the things you have to consider when hosting and pricing and I guess just general tips for somebody who's in this, you know, trying to start an enterprise like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we, let me think about this for a second. Um, as far as some of the tips, um, you know, we, we really wanted to find a way to market, market these products that was alternative. You know, we have some good friends that are not that far away. They're also doing a lot of direct marketing right off their farm. And so I would, um, yeah, I would encourage people to think outside the box that way, as far as like, I'm actually right now trying to, to buy an old like 1940s or 50s flatbed truck so we can pull that out on the on the second driveway that we put in and we can sell a product off of that. Uh, that's mm. my wife's idea <laughs> that I'm trying to bring together. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, as far as like other things to consider, you know, again, use what you have. I'm trying to think what other tidbits, you know, like really try to think of your a theme, you know, like again, we are very much the farmhouse style Mm -hmm. and um, we put in a couple fire pits that really help my kids have uh, my two older boys um, the 12 and 10 year old have a firewood business so we Mm -hmm. allow them to to do that and you know then people can have you know fires and uh, you know we have our pavilion so just I think finding ways to, to cater to what people you know, might want for like, again, the experiences, you know, like we even talked about as silly as it sounds, having like a red rider wagon with like a paint kit mm-hmm. and people can go out like with the the easel and the canvases and they can, we haven't put that together yet, but that's an idea my wife came that's up really with cool. or, you know, even snowshoes and, and, and skis, like mm-hmm. probably the snowshoe route, but people, again, they, they want to, they're going to the, the state park that's three miles away to, go snowshoe or hike or ski. So again, you know, having a trail that they can, you know, not within the animals, but on the exterior, you know, that we're not charging people for that, but again, just trying to think of ways that they can be out and experience our farm, you know? So, well, I'm 
curious just in general this is phenomenal the success you found with it and your initial thoughts when you were trying to get in your first farm was to you know buy land and it sounded like maybe more of a production mindset mm-hmm. and, and it's shifted largely to where you're not producing animals or things you're, you're selling meat you're selling finished products you're selling food like Alan said, mm-hmm. you're getting something that will go directly to the consumer's mouth and you're selling experiences. Has that, yeah. I mean, overall now thinking based back on what you had originally wanted to be more in the maybe ag production side, how has your mindset shifted? Do you ever feel like that's something you're interested in still? Do you encourage people to go down that path or do you think this has more opportunity than is, you know, than you maybe even have the ability to manage? <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. Um, so yeah, we really have pivoted. I mean, like I said, you know, our, our main income is, are the rentals, uh, Mm -hmm. as far as the production side of things, um, you know, I tried, I actually rented a adjoining farm this year and custom grazed on that. Mm -hmm. And that was a good learning experience. And I I think we're going to continue doing that on not only some of our land, but the adjoining as well. And, I'm pretty content with the, the the rentals. I will say that we've been very strategic and continuing to try to get help with our like cleaning and some of the management of it because sure. um, you know on a Sunday when you have ten beds to flip over because you have guests coming in at three four o'clock that Sunday afternoon that really is hard especially with our family goes to church regularly and so sure. you know being aware of burnout that all that so. Yeah. So I guess what I would say is that definitely still have a heart for production egg and, and, and continuing the enterprises, all, lots of them, but we are paring them down. And, mm-hmm. you know, so as far as like, like I mentioned, like, you know, having somebody raise our broilers, the honey, you know, that's going to be all taken care of, even though they're mm-hmm. on our farm. And so, yeah, but we're very, very comfortable, very thankful for the, Airbnb, VRBO rental income, but also at the same time, when I say that being willing to, um, like our smaller units have become less, uh, less popular. And I, I largely think that's due to more and more people bringing their properties or their, you know, their bus or their (laughs) boat or whatever they're trying to bring online. And so Mm -hmm. I think that I wouldn't say there's a saturation, but uh, there are more and more people that have, you know, caught wind of it. And so, um, so we're having to, you know, factor that into our, our income projections, you know, because I think I would say that those two smaller ones are probably down 40% compared to uh, 21 and in the Mm -hmm. first part of 22. So Mm -hmm. it's not to scare anybody, but it's just, you know, just like running a business, things are always changing, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's it's just interesting. It makes you question why work so hard to produce such slim margins on all this. Like people run all over the place to manage land all over the county and things to squeeze out mm-hmm. a living. And 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 it's pretty incredible what you've done. But I'm curious uh, here, kind of as we're wrapping up, are there any last thoughts or tips on on all of what you've done, or you know? words of wisdom with your experience over the last three, three or four years of, of starting your own farm that you would, uh, you didn't, you'd share with people. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess one couple thoughts there to as we're kind of closing out. Definitely networking, <laughs> going mm-hmm. to some of these different direct marketing, soil health, you know, whether they're a conference, you know, I know Jared, you work for SFA here mm-hmm. in, in Minnesota, but yeah, getting with together with like-minded people. So pasture walks, yeah. conferences, um, every year we set, we're trying to travel to five specific farms that are doing what we want to do um, and, and maybe doing a better job or maybe even doing it longer, listening to podcasts like this, you know, mm-hmm. and then following some of the big name folks, you know, Joe Salatin, Alan Williams, yeah. Will Harris. Um, so that would be one uh, one component. And then I think along with going to those farms is uh, (laughs) being willing to ask some of the hard questions, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm actually kind of surprised you didn't ask me what's our most profitable enterprise. Well, it's, it's, it's the Airbnb, it's the hospitality side, but you know, it goes from hogs to honey to our grass fed beef. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's partially why, like with our layers, I'm actually ordering in a couple hundred layers here for the end of the month or, or pullets, but knowing what, which, which ones are your, uh, most profitable enterprise. And, uh, for us, that means, um, like we had some land, some use that my wife bought an auction without me being there. And, but (laughs) I just took the last ones in the, the use and all the lambs this morning, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to have them on the farm, um, this year. So yeah, those are, I guess that's, those are some of my last closing thoughts. Um, get together with some people that have done this before and really quiz them. Like what, what is your most profitable enterprise or enterprises? And, you know, my advice would be to actually not do what we did as far as try six, eight, the first couple of years, because yeah. uh, it, it darn near killed both our marriage and me personally. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of story to that, but um, mm-hmm. it, it's, um, you know, we have a tendency to want to just work, work, work and, and work before play. And, and I, uh, there's obviously some real good wisdom with that, but, uh, yeah. I would uh, start with a couple enterprises and, and just kind of get your feet wet and, and network would be, um, I guess those would be a couple pointers that I could give or offer. So, yeah, well, those are, <laughs> Those are really good ones. <laughs> That's nothing like wrapping up the uh, wrapping up the <laughs> podcast with what could be three more hours of conversation. <laughs> yeah, is, well, sure. You bet. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, great points. And yeah, we may have to dive into more of those on another another <laughs> conversation or something. Um, sure. But yeah, that that's that's good. Um, I like to ask just at the end. Uh, for what resources and you mentioned a couple there, but are there specific books or specific conferences or something that you would recommend people check out? And, and maybe are there any specific resources related to the rentals that, that were, you know, really big piece of your learning when you started doing this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, So as far as the rentals specifically, um, we did not like, I listened to some podcasts early on and my wife did, but we didn't have a whole lot of friends, didn't know a lot of people doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, one thing we've strategically done is whenever we travel. So right now my wife's down in Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, we don't stay at hotels anymore. And mm-hmm. we specifically like look for certain types of 
Airbnbs, uh, farm stays in particular, yeah. Yeah. to go and learn and just pay the hundred or hundred twenty-five bucks per night to stay there, and then mm-hmm. not only network, but then um, see what ideas we can implement or you know yeah. things like that. So that would be one real specifically to running short-term rentals on yeah. a agritourism site or farm. Um, yeah, I would say as far as like, um, different resources or books or conferences, you know, I'm definitely a big supporter of like the soil health academies. Uh, those are, I know Jared, you and your wife have been to, um, been to, been to at least one and, yeah. um, just yeah. really good. Again, networking is phenomenal. You get to rub shoulders with some of the big name folks, Alan Williams, Gabe Brown, Ray Archuleta, and, um, I'm trying to think, yeah, YouTube is pretty big. You know, I, we have our own channel that we mm-hmm. kind of try to share what we're doing here on our farm, but also I'm just trying to think the but one of the books I just read or I'm about 90% through is called, um, what your food ate by Montgomery. Um, that's what been your a, food it, ate. You said what your food ate. Um, it's by okay. David Montgomery. Who's also written like the soil revolution. He's written like three or four books. Um, that would be one, at least as of late, that I've uh, been sharing with our customers, you know, via email and just um, helping, again, helping people understand the differences in the food that we're producing here and those those benefits, you know. So. I'll have to check that one out. I have not heard that one yet, which is cool. Um, sure. What are... What are the ways that people can reach out to you, share your, your YouTube channel? Uh, and you got a lot of good information on that and uh, your <laughs> website and yeah, anywhere that people can reach out or learn, learn more about what you're doing or reach out if they have questions. Yeah, sure. So our, our website is heart, heart and soil And uh, from there you can look at, you know, the different meat products we have, how to get a hold of us. Also there's direct links to our farm stays um, the lodge cottage and bungalow. One other thing we've, I didn't actually mention it, but we do last year, we ran two farm camps mm-hmm. here on our, our place. And that was again, a really good way to get people to our farm kids. So there's information there. Yeah. Our YouTube channel or my, the YouTube channel that I started on a dare <laughs> when I went out <laughs> to see Gabe Brown, um, it was a really silly, but um, my the YouTube channel is called Lance Klusig Regenerative Egg Advocate, and so mm-hmm. I've you know spent a lot of time interviewing farmers from across the Midwest and yeah. uh, what's working for them, what's what things they're trying, things they do different. So um, yeah, those are the predominant ways that you can. We have an Instagram and Facebook, of course, as well, but mm-hmm. um, those are those are definitely good ways to to find more out about our farm and who we are. Perfect. Well, that's, that's great. This has been good. And and I know there's a whole lot more we could have talked about, but I it could talk about, but I, I really appreciate you coming on. Congratulations on the success you found. I, it's really an incredible story of, of, of just success and, and adaption and, you know, being willing to do what works and, and not, I don't know. It was awesome. So well done. And thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jared, for the opportunity and um, yeah, really encouraging just to be able to, learn from folks like yourself and what you guys are doing with your direct marketing, but then also listening to other people you're, you're able to interview. So appreciate what you're doing as well on the podcast. The Herd Quitter podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company. 
whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Faro Cattle Company at farocattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.